Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And today we're going to be talking about what it's going to be like in eternity or in heaven or however you want to phrase that. Because I'm one year closer to getting there. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Morbid, you morbid man. That's so dark. Dude. (laughs) All right. Well, on that bright note, um, we're going to go to a quick word from our sponsors. All right. So after that uplifting introduction, <laughs> uh, let's get back into uh, all of the fun stuff. Zach, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of the podcasts. We do a lot of research and we come at it and uh, there's a definite direction. We know where we want to get. We know how we're going to get there, and we just kind of work our way through that. This is so far removed from that kind of an episode. <laughs> kind of. I mean, listen, we – actually, I think our last few have been more speculative because those can be kind of fun yeah, sometimes Yeah, probably too, so. Probably right? so. But this one, there are some really nice little glimpses I think we get. Yeah, and it's not that we haven't done our – homework i mean we've we've studied for this it's just, it's just that there's not a hard answer on this one yeah it's it's more of a we can only do the best we can with the information we are given right um, so what's the basic question that we're looking at all right so really how this came to be uh we were talking to our friend uh, and um we've got because we have one yeah our one friend <laughs> And uh, so a couple of our friends were actually talking about what it would be like in eternity, and they were in disagreement on what that would look like. Um, one of them believed that we, for all eternity, um, would be in the direct presence of God at the foot of his throne, all in, uh, you know, flat on our faces, awestruck. worshiping, awestruck, yeah. right? Um, and, and worshiping God in that way. Um, the other friend tended to think that eternity would be more like, uh, like the fulfillment of Eden, right? That we would be living out lives. Maybe we'd have jobs, whatever. Right. Uh, but it would be uh, a perfect version of what the world, uh, originally was right and then of course you have uh kind of the caricature views uh, we're going to be transformed into angels we're going to have wings we're going to be playing harps sitting on clouds right and, right yeah and so we we just kind of want to talk through uh these ideas and uh pick out some things from scripture that have stood out to us uh in this area and i don't know that i've got a direct answer on what I think about this, but I, I definitely have some leanings on, on what I think about this kind of stuff. So where do you want to start? Should we look at what heaven means, how it's used in scripture? Let's do that. That's okay. Good. Okay. So uh, I looked it up. Heaven is used 421 times in the Old Testament. Uh, primarily, it, it it's the heavens, it's the sky, it's the firmament. As the firmament, uh, 
you can look through scripture. It has windows, pillars, foundations. Uh, it, it can be torn. It holds the rain, the snow, the frost, the dew, the hail, the thunder, the wind, and the clouds. Heavens can also be what we refer to as outer space, the space where there are lights, where there's a sun and a moon and there are stars. Even planets, although, uh, biblical authors are a little bit fuzzy on the planets, there are lights moving around that they know are not stars, uh, because they move differently, but they don't know exactly what to call them. And we're not talking about that. We're talking more about the other use, and that is heaven as the place where God lives. You want a couple of verses there? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, like Isaiah 63, verse 15. Isaiah says, uh, Lord, look down from heaven. Look from your holy, glorious home and see us. So, yeah, Isaiah says heaven is where you live. You get the book of Psalms. Of course, Psalms a little bit more poetic, a little bit more figurative language. Psalm 33, verses 13 and 14 say, um, The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. So uh there's a throne in heaven. There's a sanctuary in heaven. Psalm uh, 102.19 talks about God uh, in his heavenly sanctuary. So heaven is the place where God lives. Okay. Yeah. So if heaven is the place where God lives, will we live in heaven? Good question. I think so. Uh, when we are in the rapture, caught up to be with him. Is that just taking us in route? He meets us halfway and then walks us the rest of the way to heaven. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. Oh, you, you hit me with like another hypothetical there. I was not ready for that. I was like, okay. Um, yeah. I, okay. I'll tell you how I've always tended to think of this. Yeah. To me, it seems apparent that when we get to like end times talk stuff, right? That when God makes the new heaven and the new earth, it seems to me that heaven and earth are these overlapping domains at that point. Okay. Um, when you look at the Garden of Eden. Eden was a place where heaven and earth seemed to overlap in a way because it's where God dwelt with man. So you've got the spiritual dwelling with the physical, right? And so after man sins, that connection severed, right? That's the importance of the tabernacle and the temple is that the tabernacle is to symbolize that place where heaven and earth still 
overlap just a little bit because God is present with his people in the tabernacle and in the temple. And that's why there's all these rules and regulations as to who can go in and when they can go in. And that's why we see so much imagery in the tabernacle and in the temple that points us back to Eden. Right. Because right, we're to right, remember right. Eden right. when we're in the temple, standing in the presence of God. So in, in the temple, you have images like, I think there are palm trees. I think there are pomegranates, uh, olive, uh, olive branches, olive, olives even. Yeah. Are portrayed in the temple. You have, I think it's either four or maybe it's 12 oxen that hold up the wash basin for the priests that they call the Great Sea. Hmm. Uh, so in spite of the fact that the Ten Commandments say don't make any image of anything living, you see all kinds of images in the temple. Well, yeah. I mean, that— Ten Commandments is saying don't do that to worship Exactly. Them. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that gets spelled out all throughout Scripture, right? There are other examples of God telling people to make him things or to carve things. Right. But it's for his purposes. Right. It's not for the worship of that thing. So, yeah, that that is important. One of the other things that comes out in in uh, kind of what you've just said, so with the fall of man, uh, the earth is cursed. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, prior to sin, uh, there weren't any weeds. And with sin now, uh, the Lord says you'll have to work hard to get the ground to produce what it was meant to produce naturally. It seems that Heaven is tarnished as well because heaven is not just a place where all good things take place. There are bad things that take place as well. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 talks about spiritual battle. This is just before Paul talks about the armor of God. And he says the spiritual battle takes place against the uh, authorities of men or the authorities of uh, evil beings in the heavenly places. Hmm. So not everything that goes on in heaven is uh, wonderful and great, at least not currently. In addition to that, we've talked about uh, the heavenly court in the book of Job. Satan walks into the heavenly court and challenges God. Have you uh, God actually challenges him. Have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me have my way with him and we'll see if he blesses you or curses you. That one's a little tough, though, because then you get into the argument of is that the same adversary, the same Satan, right? Because Satan is not a name. It's a title. But it is a tempter. It is a tempter, right? Uh, the the point being that heaven is somewhat tarnished by the fall as well. Right. So regardless of of which tempter, regardless of which adversary, point being like, this is somebody challenging God. Yeah. Right. Right. That's not great. The book of Psalms, uh, God stands in the heavenly court and he says to the other gods over the other nations, why are you judging unjustly? Uh, uh, judge. You'll, you'll with, die like men. You'll die like men. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that takes place in heaven. Right. At least the current heaven. 
Correct. Which kind of indicates why in the book of Revelation, when uh, everything comes to an end, there is a new heaven as well as a new earth. It's not just a new earth. Right. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Right. And and Jesus says that he's making all things new. Right? Yeah. Like like yeah. everything has to be overhauled. Ooh, interesting thought. Will the angels of heaven get new spiritual bodies? Well, I've never thought of that before. But if everything either, is being decent, made new. Decent question. Huh. I have zero grounding to answer that. <laughs> and I don't think scripture says <laughs> no, anything no. at all about but that. I was just, so that's, well, I was just that's one of those, let's wait and see. Well, it's sort of the all things. I don't know. You know, is that, <laughs> is that hyperbole? Is that literal? I don't know. It feels very literal, but, um, but yeah. Um, so, okay. With the whole, um, concept of Eden, how did we get onto that originally? I feel like we strayed off the path a bit there. Probably did. Um, the idea that, oh, that heaven and earth overlapped. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it, we were kind of talking it, about it. originally, right. right? That it seems that that is what was happening in the beginning. Ooh. And that is what happens in the end. So God creates the earth, but he puts in the earth a garden. And God walks in the garden. Only in the garden. Only in the garden. That's all it ever garden. mentions, right? Eden is where heaven and earth overlap. Right. The temple is where heaven and earth overlap. Right. Because God inhabits the temple. And you get Edenic images in the temple. Well, I mean, the other thing that's important is like in Near Eastern uh, religion in general, I should say. Uh, it's pretty common to see mountaintops and gardens are where yeah. the gods live. Yeah. And so isn't it interesting that with Eden in, I think it's in Ezekiel, it's in certain, I think it is Ezekiel. Uh, I'll look it up here in a minute, but refers to Eden as a mountain uh, there because there are rivers streaming down from it. Um, but there's this imagery of, whether that's literal or if he's just trying to give the point across that this is the place where God dwelt. Well, it's it's an image that evokes contemporary understanding of what paradise was. Right. And so we we see God looking at Adam and Eve in the garden and saying, hey, I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to rule over the earth because – the picture I see painted, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but like you said, there is a garden on the earth, and that is where God dwells with his people. And he is telling them, go spread this thing. Yeah. Go spread yeah. my yeah. likeness. Subdue the earth. Take the earth. Work it. Work it. Reign yeah. over it. Make yeah. it yours in my image. Spread my image. Yeah. And then they sin. Right. So it never happens. Right. That right. never actually right. is fulfilled. Right. The cursed land is what spreads. Right. Not the blessed land. Right. So I think my my take on uh on what heaven will be like, um I guess I feel like it it 
it would make the most sense if it is in line with the rest of the narrative. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. there's consistency all throughout the Bible. Right, right. And so it's I, I guess my my only issue with I, I mean, I guess not my yeah, I mean, I really don't have any issues with, with this other than it just doesn't seem it doesn't make sense to me as the biblical right, answer right. that we will be on our faces worshiping for all of eternity. And okay. I've got some other reasons I want to kind of point out for why that is. So I personally would probably be more in the camp of I would say it's going to be more like an Eden account because that is the original command God gave to people. We never did it. Right. And so it seems to me the completed perfect earth, the new earth would be the chance to actually do that, to actually reign the earth, to subdue the earth in the image of God through man, God working with man. Right. Right. Um, where I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead and jump there and kind of pull that information out. Um, but when we look at revelation 22, and this is the last chapter of revelation, right? This is the end. Um, it says, let's see here. Well, well, first, it's really interesting that the, that the headline here in, in the NIV version of Revelation 22 uh, of the first paragraph here, it says Eden restored. Yeah. That's how they've yeah. interpreted yeah. it. It doesn't say that in your Bible. This Very is just, definitely is an interpretation. Right. It's definitely an interpretation. But I think there's but some, there's reasons, there's for, some it. reasons yeah. for that, for sure. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. And of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Now that is going back oh, to yeah. Eden, that's, right? That's straight back to Genesis 2. The entire reason Adam and Eve, well, I don't want to say the entire reason. Uh, one of the reasons mentioned for why Adam and Eve have to be removed from the garden is because if they were to stay in the garden and have access to the tree of life, they would both be simultaneously living in sin and live forever. Okay. You, you know what yep. I'm talking about? Yep. So that, that's what God says. He says, we must remove them from the garden lest they eat from the tree of life and live right. forever. So point being is God did not want his people living in sin perpetually. Right. The byproduct of that thought is that death is actually an element of God's grace it to is, us. Because it would be hell to live in sin perpetually. Exactly. Right? And so he wanted to save us from that through death, which is crazy to think about. Right, right. But but that's what he did. So here we see the tree of life, the thing that gives us life, which I personally think is a metaphor for God in a way, because God is the author of life, right? Like it's not a magical tree that makes people live forever. It's right, God, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but this is the image used because near Eastern philosophy is all about trees and gardens and that's where life is. Right. Yeah. It's in the gardens. It's right. where the rivers are. And what do we see here? We see fruit and we see trees and we see water and it's all about life. The river of life, the tree of life, everything's alive, but this is like garden imagery again. And, uh, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And so there's 
always a steady supply of, of infinite life to yeah. go around, right? Yeah. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. His servants will serve him. Pay attention here. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, that's interesting because that gets into the whole, uh, like, Ten Commandments language of, I want you to bear my name, right? Right. Because we say, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. That's not actually what it says in Hebrew. It says, don't carry the name of the Lord. Don't bear the name of the Lord in vain. And so represent him well in your thought. Exactly. That's what that means when it's on your forehead, because the other is on your right hand, and that's your action, right? So he's saying, and they will have minds like God. They will think like God. They will be righteous in their thought, right? Um. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will no, uh, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. And this is the part that's really interesting to me. And this, this right here is why I don't think I can make sense of, of the idea of like just perpetually being in like prostrate worship for all of eternity, um, like singing kind of worship. Uh, it says, and they will reign forever and ever. They meaning the people of God. Right. I don't know how we can reign from our faces is my only thing there. It, it is interesting that we have the word reign again, too. I mean, that goes straight back to Genesis 1 and 2. It would be subdue back there, yeah, right? right. But, well, he says subdue and reign over all the earth. Does he? He does. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Absolutely. I'm seeing the same imagery. I mean, I'm seeing a mirror reflection there. Right. Um, and so I guess I pair that and sorry, I'm going forever here, but I'm trying to like make my full idea on just why I think this. Sure. But I, I think the other thing is when we look at what Jesus says, the greatest commandment is, he says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, you know? And then he says, and the second is like it. Uh, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I don't see any reason and I don't see anything stating why that would suddenly go out the window. Right. Like we're called all throughout Jesus' ministry to serve one another. And it seems to me that reigning in God's new creation would entail that, would be worshiping the Lord our God through our loving service to one another, walking alongside his son, Jesus Christ. Right, right, right. So Revelation 22 says that we serve him. Mm -hmm. We're taking a little bit of a jump saying that we would serve each other as well. It doesn't actually say that, but it it, it just makes sense. I I guess I'm, I'm just saying I don't see where that command is no more. But it's kind of supported a couple of verses later in uh, 22 when uh, John says, uh, we're looking here at verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, 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 don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what's written in this book, worship only God. 
So the angel actually says, hey, I'm just a servant like you are. That is our function. It's my function as an angel. That's your function as a follower of God who has now uh, found himself in heaven. We do the very same things. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here, here's the other thing I want to say here, too. I don't think anything here discredits us worshiping God in a flat on our faces. Sure, I think that'll happen. I think there's going to be a lot of that. I think there's going to be, like, here's the thing I don't think we even begin to comprehend, is we are talking about eternity. If we spend the first thousand years of heaven worshiping God, that's the blink of an eye in eternity. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's so much time and and i just i don't know that we can comprehend and maybe that's the big issue when talking about this this subject is we're given so very little information and and we're talking about forever right and that's hard right that's really hard to picture really hard to understand for our limited brains you have any thoughts on that um well I was thinking about different ways. We we do catch a couple of glimpses of heaven. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, stands in the throne room of God. Yeah. And he's awestruck. Oh, yeah. And God says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Yeah. His mind immediately goes to service. Um. There's the idea of God's throne. We have mentions of God's throne all throughout Paul. Even in what Jesus says, uh, Matthew 5, 34, when he says, uh, don't make vows, don't make any vows. He says, uh, where are we at here in verse 34? I say, don't make any vows. Don't say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. Uh, That's where God is. And God is commonly viewed as sitting in a throne. Hebrews 8, 1 says the same thing. We get another picture of what heaven is in John 14, when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. So uh, we see heaven as a throne room. We see heaven as the house of a father who is having more children and making new nurseries all the time, adding rooms. Uh, those are... To me, they convey active images. There are things that we do there. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like a house is somewhere you live. It's a home. It's uh, where you're with your family and where you spend time with your family. Yeah. That's how David talks about it as well. In Psalm 23. 
and I will yeah. dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's interesting. Um, there's another passage that uh, I looked up, and I did everything that I could to to get information on this, but Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about being caught up to the third heaven. Yeah, that's wonky stuff. It's it's really strange. But, uh, you know, I was able to find a little bit of stuff on it. Let's read that passage. Uh, Paul is, he's, he's talking to the Corinthian church saying, you really don't have any reason to be bragging about what you're doing. Right. But the other thing about this, he doesn't actually say it's him, or him does it? No, he doesn't. He's saying, he doesn't. I know of a man. I know of yeah, a man. Yeah, yeah. So Second uh, Corinthians 12, uh, we'll just read the first four verses. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Now, this is New Living Translation. It actually says, I know a man. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So they interpret and they say, okay, Paul's talking about himself. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Well, if you look at when Paul was in Corinth and you go back 14 years, this would have been roughly the time that he was in the Syrian desert, possibly with the Essenes down there where he was doing a lot of study of Old Testament and study of apocalyptic literature, study of literature that's written between the two Testaments because the Essenes kind of focused on that. They were kind of mystical, weren't they? They were very mystical, yeah. yeah. So he says, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows, yes. Only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. I don't know. Uh, I do know that I was caught up to paradise. Hmm. So you have the third heaven and you have paradise and heard things so astounding that they can't be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. So reading, uh, I was reading one commentator who makes the point that actually throughout the New Testament, the idea of not just a heaven, but of multiple heavens, or at least it's fairly common to use the word heaven in plural form. You get that in Ephesians 4.10, when all the heavens, plural, will adore him. Uh, you get it in Colossians 1.16 that says that Christ rules over all the heavenly realms, plural. You get it in 2 Peter chapter 3, where five times there's the reference to multiple heavens, or at least heaven is used in plural. And it's in that passage, 2 Peter, that um, we get this statement, 2 Peter 3.13. Am I right there? Okay, 2 Peter 3.13. I was in the wrong book. 
Um, we're looking forward to the new heavens, plural, and the new earth, singular, that he's promised a world filled with God's righteousness. A world filled with, well, that would be the new yeah. earth. Well, the new earth with the new heavens, because right. heaven and earth apparently overlap. But it's filled with God's righteousness. Righteousness means that which expresses faithfully what God wants. Hmm. We'll be confronted with the world that is the way God intends. Paradise. Is, is righteousness an action? I mean, like, is it an actionable thing? Well, Paul seems to think it is. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Now, the other place that this commentator mentioned is, again, an apocalyptic book. This is written between the Testaments. It is not Scripture. We have on this podcast read before from 4th Ezra and from 1st Enoch, from the second book of Enoch, chapter 8, verse 1. Those men took me from there, from the earth, and they brought me up to the third heaven, they set me down there, and I looked downward, and I saw paradise. Now, here is Enoch's description of paradise. That place is inconceivably pleasant. I saw trees in full flower. Their fruits were ripe and pleasant-smelling. Every food and yield and giving off profusely a pleasant fragrance. In the midst of them was the tree of life at that place where the Lord rests when he goes into paradise. So the image they have is God still walks in the Garden of Eden. And there's a place he sits down, and where he sits is under the tree of life. And that tree is indescribable for pleasantness and fine fragrance, more beautiful than any other created thing that exists. Now, Enoch goes on, and that's that's beside the point. The issue is... There was this concept that the third heaven is related to paradise. It's where man goes back to Eden. Just what you were talking about from Revelation 22. So that's another part of the narrative that kind of fits that same image. This is drawing my mind to something really quick. Um, and where's it at? So I'm thinking back to Jesus talking about adultery. Which one is it? Uh, where, where he takes it back to the garden where he says that God created them one man and one woman, Jesus. That they that they would become one flesh, um, man. I'm going to have to look for that here in a minute. But that's when they came to him about Moses's. Uh, oh yeah, Moses yeah, yeah. said that uh, they could they could uh, divorce divorce Jesus on divorce. Right. Uh, here we go, Matthew 19. That sounds real close. Yeah. Uh, okay, so 
some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two but one flesh. Um, I just find it really interesting that, that Jesus's mind is always drawn back to yeah. Don't you remember how it's supposed to be? Don't right. you remember the right. way things are supposed to be? The, the the way things are intended to be? I'm just, I'm coming back to that again. Just the narrative seems to suggest that things are to be a certain way and God is trying to draw them back to that. I've got another thought on that, actually. When you look at, you were talking about the heavens and, and the and right. earth and yeah. how everything's going to be created. Now. Right. I think the other part, like where we kind of get into the Michael Heiser stuff a little bit, um, talking about the fallen sons of God, uh -huh. whether they be spiritual or whether they be physical, it seems to be that God is trying to bring his family together, his sons together, back together, one family. And he's excluding those that do not want to follow him. That. It's like the spiritual sons fell, the physical sons fell. But what we see through Christ, what we see through the resurrection is, I mean, all the language Paul uses is that now we are the adopted sons and daughters. We've right. been brought back yeah, into the fold. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this familial language. And so it seems to me that God's, one of God's major purposes for his creation is that we all be one big happy family together. And it, and it seems to me that part of what he's saying is that the church, as imperfect as it is, is supposed to be kind of the first step towards that. Hmm. But we are supposed to be a family. We are supposed to support each other. When we don't, we break that image apart. Right. And so I guess, I guess my thought is that also would seem to be like, if that's what he's trying to make happen here on earth, it and that's all pointing towards this new creation, wouldn't that play into the purpose of this new creation, that his family be restored and reigning with him as servant rulers? It would certainly fit the narrative, yeah. Of, I mean, and when you look at what the angel says to, to John in Revelation, don't worship me, I'm just like you and like your brothers and sisters – I'm, I'm a, a servant. servant. We're all servants of the Lord. Right. Worship him. Right. And so I, I don't know. Uh, th that that just kind of points me back there as well. Here's what I do know. Is that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think we're going to. No matter how much we kind of parse this thing out and pick it apart. There is just not much in Scripture that really tells all day. us. Yeah. And so it's like, I think that what what we can take away and really what we should understand is no matter what heaven is like and no matter what anybody thinks it's like, and we've all got our own thoughts on that. Um, like you said in the beginning, some people think we're going to be floating on little clouds. Some people think we're going to be angels. Hey, it, quick. It'd be nice to have wings. I'd yeah. love to have wings. Yeah, we're not going to be angels. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way. We we don't turn into angels. Um 
But like, regardless of what you think heaven should be like or what you want it to be like, um, and we've all kind of got that, I think, in us somewhere, wh- whatever that is for sure. us. When we get to heaven, we are going to be awestruck by God. It is going to be more than we could ever imagine. It is going to be beyond any human comprehension we have now. Right. And it is going to be exactly what you've always needed. It is what you were designed for. It, you're yes. going to be in the presence of your God in the function he made you for. Right. And that is going to be, com- it's going to complete us. It's going to be fulfilling to us. We are not going to be displeased no matter what right. it looks yes. like. Yes. We are going to be so stoked to be there regardless of what it looks like. Yeah. And so no matter where you fall on, on the thought here, it's like, what it really boils down to is heaven's going to be awesome. And I'm glad that we all get to be there because we believe in Jesus. Like (laughs) don't miss it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want you to miss out. And so, uh, I mean, this is our, our little gospel plug here, but like (laughs) if you don't know Jesus Christ, seek him out. He says those who seek him will find him, right? Like go, Look for him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Seek him in his word in the scriptures. Go to church. Go find yourself a good Bible teaching church near you if you're not in one already and get to know the God of the universe through the scriptures, but also by interacting with his people, with his kids, right? That's, that's us. That's right. Now let me warn you. We're all pretty screwed up and we're not always the best representatives. That's but, the problem. Yeah. But. When we read his word and we believe that that is the truth, we can be led back to what we should be doing, right? And so that's where we've got to be there for each other, is always correcting each other, always helping each other along. Um, And one day we get to to be together in heaven, man. We get to be with God in heaven. That's huge. There is a a great uh, passage. It really comes out in Spanish. But uh, we might be able to make uh, a little bit of sense of it in uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, He says, uh, the Lord, um, let's see, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee Mm. that'll give us the inheritance he promised. The word for guarantee is actually not guarantee in the sense of a warranty. It's a guarantee in the sense of a down payment. It's earnest money that God has given you. What Paul is saying is you've got the Holy Spirit. That's just the earnest money. Think what... The whole thing is going to be like when you get that. I mean, having the Holy Spirit is awesome. And that's just the down payment. That's just the beginning. That's just the, the beginning. The tip yeah. of the iceberg. Right. What's the, okay. When you were talking earlier about all the heavens, yeah. all I could think about was Narnia, the further up and further in. I love like, that. Go, going through all the, like each new doorway is a new heaven. In the last new... book, I think it's the last chapter of the last book. Uh, yeah. Aslan leads his followers and they run through a door into a new Narnia. And 
that Narnia is even better than the one they were in. So they explore it and they come to another door and they open that door and it's a new Narnia. And that Narnia is even better. And so Aslan starts shouting further up and farther in. And man, I want heaven to be like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be everything, uh, everything we've ever needed, whether we've thought about it or not. That's how I guess I'd like to look at it. But, uh, you know, like we said, this is a pretty speculative episode. Uh, It kind of has to be, but, um, I, I I hope that, you know, whether you agree with with us or not, that's cool. It really doesn't affect anybody's salvation or anything. We can all disagree on this all day long and no big deal. But, um, I, I hope that maybe this conversation would spur you to go dig into your Bible and look it up and, and see for yourself what conclusions you find there in scripture, right? Um, let this drive you to Bible study, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, thanks for listening guys. We, uh, we are so blessed by you. We're blessed by our listeners and we're really thankful for you. And so, uh, we just ask you that, uh, you would get on our website, get on, uh, Salty Saints podcast. Is that right? SaltySaintsPodcast.com. Yep. Yes, I got it. Dude, we got too many things. I always say that and I always forget. Um, get on there. But you always remember it right. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I just have to stop for a second. Uh, SaltySaintsPodcast.com. Get on there. Send us an email or a voice message or whatever. Uh, let us hear from you. We love hearing from our listeners. Give us some episode ideas. Tell us what you want to hear about, what questions you may have. Send us your prayer requests. We would love to be praying for you. Um, Check out our friends at Life Audio. They got lots of cool stuff over there for us to check out. Uh, they got lots of podcasts on Christian living and Bible study and all that. And uh, until next time, stay salty. I'm Billy Yancey, entrepreneur, fitness cowboy, father, retired Navy cornerback, and now podcast host. Listen to my new show, Billy and the Goat, on Life Audio. Happy listening.